0: This This is
1: the Second Second
0: Story Podcast.
1: On this week's Second Story Podcast, the Reverend Rebecca Anderson leaves her comfort zone on a journey to help others find God, only to come close to losing herself. Rebecca is a pastor at the non-denominational Glencoe Union Church and has been telling with Second Story for almost two years. She received her Master's of Divinity at the University of Chicago and has a bachelor's degree in playwriting from Hampshire College. In her past lives, she's been a stand-up comedian, a nanny, and an ox drover. She listens to story podcasts while she runs every day and sometimes dabbles in making her own soap. This story, titled Lost and Found, was performed at Second Story's season-opening event at Webster's Wine Bar in Lincoln Park on September 10th. The theme of the evening was Up, Up, and Away, stories of breaking out. And now, Second Story presents Rebecca Anderson.
0: Laura and I stare at each other speechless. We're at the funeral of Laura's partner, and it's a horrible funeral, a tragic funeral. We hold each other's gaze. A friend has just asked, how do you two know each other? Venezuela, the middle of the country, the middle of the night. Laura and I are back to back on a thin mattress, listening to a pack of dogs barking in the distance. Downstairs in the bar, there was yelling, bottles clinking, glass breaking, motorcycles growled in and out. The village was marked by a poverty unlike anything I'd seen, but we were staying at Los Viqueños Hotel, or possibly brothel. (laughs) It was actually very hard to tell. Some signs at the front desk were really unclear. But we had this dubious and relative luxury because we were seminary students sent to this place by our church to build relationships with the union of evangelical Pentecostals of Venezuela. The wide open mouth of the AC vent roared into the room and we knew that air conditioning was ridiculous luxury, but in fact it was awful. We were freezing and we had nothing but shorts and t-shirts. I wondered if having known Laura only a week it was too close to huddle next to her for warmth. I had just finished my first year at the Divinity School at the University of Chicago and it had been astonishing. I was raised in the church, and I found out all kinds of things that cracked open my childhood faith. I found out that faith bears interrogation. Who knew? I found out that the Bible can be a tool for liberation, not oppression. I found out that following a God who came to live among poor, outcast people means heading more deeply into this actual here-and-now world. Mm. I found out other stuff, too. I mean, I found out that I could belong and move among brilliant people. I could dump my boyfriend, I could lose 20 pounds, I could turn heads on the street, Um, I could take up with a libertine short story writer who when he turned his sights on me made me feel sparkly and urbane. This was a new me, right? A new chapter. And so when I got invited to participate on this trip to Venezuela for seminary students, paid for and organized by my denomination, I rode the wave. I was gonna take the new me to Venezuela see what I could learn and see there. I first laid eyes on Laura in the parking lot of a Miami hotel on our way to Venezuela. The smell of hot tar rising around us, she ambled toward me, smiling as she came. Knowing that I had a roommate among these gathering strangers, I thought, oh, I hope that's her. I didn't need to know a thing about her to recognize her. She is my people. (laughs) She was also my roommate. She got close enough to say, God, is it going to be this hot the whole time? (laughs) This is going to be terrible. And while she laughed, I began to pray a new prayer. Thank you for sending me this woman. And that first day, in between talking about the children's theater she'd directed and the women's bookstore she'd owned, she spoke often of her housemate from home. She quoted her all the time, laughing while she described this brilliant, hilarious friend. Listen, I'm a pastor, but I know that the church sucks in a lot of ways, okay? And even then, I knew that she didn't know if she was in hostile territory, and I had to figure out a non-patronizing way to let her know, I get it. You have a wife. I'm on board. (laughs) Laura and I and 10 other seminarians followed Jesus all over Eastern and Central Venezuela in the back of a 15-person passenger van. We bounced nauseously over rutted dirt roads and a mountain, new mountain highway that was still known for nighttime piracy. We passed street lights that were open containers of gasoline burning on top of barrels. We ate lunch at a truck stop with horse on the menu. Wherever we went, we lobbed questions at Carlos, our leader, a seminary professor from the United States. So do Protestant churches mostly support Hugo Chavez? And how prevalent is dengue fever? And what's a land grab? And who are those men with machetes gathered outside our gate? (laughs) And to all of our questions, Carlos responded, you don't understand Latin America. We got a copy of the expenses for the trip and passed it hand to hand. A thousand dollars a day for the van? belonging to the brother of the self-proclaimed bishop who was our Venezuelan host? Carlos, why is the van so expensive? I mean, we were naive, but we knew this seemed off. We stopped asking Carlos questions and started asking each other, why was our money taken to give to the wealthy van owner and his clergy brother? Money that we had collected, by the way, to tip our cook, Luis. An emaciated man who was trying to visit his dying father in a distant state. Why didn't Carlos stay with us at night? What was the nature of Carlos's relationships here? We felt safe with him. God, you guys, I don't know. Don't you think he's kind of like the godfather? (laughs) What were we even supposed to be doing here? Why couldn't we get our questions answered? Before the trip... Only half-jokingly, I tried to extract promises from my family that if something happened to me, if I disappeared, that they would come after me. If I was taken by the FARC into the Colombian jungles to live as a hostage, that they would pressure the U.S. government to come after me. But I have to say, my father in particular was very noncommittal. He's like, oh, certainly not going to participate in any ransom. I mean, like... It's okay. It's like against his ethics and also he's kind of cheap, so. <laughs> At any rate, it turns out that Laura shared my fear of abduction and even the vision of how it would shake down. We'd be taken and sold into some kind of handmaid's tailed dystopia where we would disappear into a throng of market-bound veiled women. And given my family's totally lackluster promises, we needed our own plan. <sighs> so that if we ever ran into each other in the marketplace post-abduction, we could recognize each other. Laura was on it. Tyra's advice to the contestants is that they should smile with their eyes. We should practice that. So we hid our lower faces and tried smiling with our eyes and warning with our eyes and screaming, help me with our eyes. And this practice joke was all our real plan for managing our fear. During the first week, we were driven to a women's health clinic, a radio station, a mayor's office, an artist collective, everywhere our photos were taken and we were introduced as the US delegation. But we were unable to make sense of what we saw or experienced and Carlos was zero help. We sat for hours-long lectures. We went to an indigenous YU community to watch costumed children dance the dance they danced for all their visiting church friends. We all got the shits. We all drank bottle after miniature bottle of Polar ice beer like it was water, which it basically was. You know, we lost our ability to accept hospitality. We were too sick to eat the skinny chicken slaughtered on our behalf. Too overwhelmed to realize that the thin towels were so new they had their price tags on them? Too disoriented to realize that the shirtless man sleeping on a flat of cardboard in our hallway was wearing a hat reading security? Hired to protect us? Late in the trip, at a concert at a shiny new school in the middle of desert nowhere, we were serenaded by ear-splitting Christian rock music while military helicopters thumped overhead and there was no way of knowing how long it would last or if the event had been planned especially for us, finally, unable to hold back, I started crying behind my oversized sunglasses until I had to excuse myself to the bathroom. Laura found me there, squatting down like a toddler having a fit, hungry, tired, confused, embarrassed. I thought you might be here, she said. This moment... Crouched in the bathroom, crying? This is why I don't tell this story. It is so hard to get at what was so awful. I mean, if you look at the pictures, I look like I'm having fun. We swam in a pool while we were there. And really, we were safe the whole time. And what is so bad about Christian rock music played too loudly? (laughs) It's bad, but it's not like crying in the bathroom bad. (laughs) went to bear witness to the lives of others and I was unable to. My reconstructed faith was absolutely not enough to see me through rats in the bathroom or corrupt leadership or too many ham sandwiches or rich white seminarians judging impoverished Venezuelans for breastfeeding in church. You know, I had thought the trip would be chaotic and that I would witness injustice. But it was the imbalance in our little microcosm that undid me. I tried to keep track of that person I'd become in divinity school, the new me. But if this trip was a test of what I thought I'd learned that first year, I failed. God's gaze on me was not enough to anchor me. And the truth was, I lost myself on that trip. The new me, the old me, gone quickly and easily. Like a parent at a fair, I let go of my own hand for just a moment, and I vanished. And I wasn't abducted, but I did disappear. (laughs) Almost. Laura came after me. 3 a.m. that night, back at Los Viqueños Hotel and or Brothel. Laura and I were back to back, freezing in the night, listening to the dogs bark, the noise from the bar, scared a brawl might break out and move upstairs past our ad hoc security guard. Needlessly, I asked, are you awake? Yes. I'm so cold. We got up and layered, t-shirts, extra socks. We threw a yellow rain jacket on the bed for insulation. To that, we added a few of the thin bath towels. From across the room, Laura looked at me, saw me in the bed, homely and undignified, and she stood dejected in the half-light, feet wedged into socks and sandals, her whole self drooping under a poncho. We took each other in, our unloveliness, our failure, our ugly Americanness. We saw it all. This is really bad, she said. I wanna go home. A year and a half later, I'm at the funeral, waiting for Laura to arrive. I catch my reflection in a window. I think, I look like a pastor. A Bible tucked under my arm. I feel like a pastor. I turn and see Laura appear at the end of a hallway, flanked by a group of women. As I move towards her, our eyes lock, and there's that question. How do you two know each other? As we hold each other's gaze, it's all there. Stories of 10 days, just 10 days. But we don't know what to say. We don't know where to start.
1: That was Rebecca Anderson. If her story gives you ideas for your own Second Story, we'd love to hear them. Join us on October 14th or 15th at Webster's Wine Bar in Lincoln Park, or on October 21st or 22nd at Brasserie 54 in Andersonville. For more information on Second Story, including a full listing of upcoming events, or how to become involved with Second Story, please visit our website at secondstory.com. That's 2ndstory.com. This Second Story podcast was brought to you by Amanda Delheimer-Diamond, Bobby Bedrisky, Julie Ganey, Nick Kawahara, the Second Story Publishing Committee, Eric Hazen, Danielle Ezel, Sherry Pentamone, and myself. I'm Ozzy Totten, and this is Second Story. Thanks for listening.